One. That's a pretty loud good morning. Hope you've had a good wet weekend. I see some of you are growing web feet uh, from all this rain. I have to tell you about an experience I had last night. I'm still a bit shaky, so you'll understand as I go through my message today. So last night, I was at a family event in West Vancouver, and uh, it was raining the whole way up there, and uh, we were up on this salmon house in the hill, should I say that, you know, advertising and all that. Um, but as we were up there, the view broke, and uh, we could see the Lionsgate Bridge and all the, the, uh, the cityscape. Um, my mother-in-law's 80th birthday celebration. It was a great time together. And so on the way home, my wife and I decided to ride with my, my youngest son in his car. And I use the word car loosely. Uh, the wipers are mechanically um, not as reliable. The blades were not quite as good. And he's been having some electrical issues, apparently. So uh, we've heard about these things, but guess what? Last night, we got to experience that. So on the way over the Portman Bridge, center lane, mid-span, his car completely dies. And the, 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 the lights go out. Uh, we, we have no power. The cars are zooming past us. There's no uh, way to, get to move to the side because there is no lane to get out of the way. And I, I tell my family, brace yourself for impact because we don't know if we're about to be rear-ended by some truck coming around the corner. And my son is frantically trying to get the car to, to connect again. And uh, Kim, Kim is, has this cadence. Oh God, 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 oh God. No trucks, no trucks, no trucks, no cars, no cars. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. It was kind of like throughout the time. This is the background music we now have in our car. And I get my phone and I'm trying to get, I had a video I played for my mother-in-law and it was still on the screen. Get it off, get it off. I got a phone, 911. I need help. And my son's, he's studying to be a nurse. So, you know, calm, cool, shift. Hmm, not this, not this. 911, 911, brace yourself for impact, and uh, finally get 911, help me out, I'm on mid-span, which way are you facing? I'm going towards Surrey, okay, I'll connect you to the uh, Coquitlam RCMP, and hello, can we help you? <laughs> I'm about to die, like, will you please come help my family out, and the windows are fogging up, we can't see, we see this light zooming past us, and I'm just thinking, any minute, my family will become a statistic on the morning news, and... Um, just then, Connor shifts it to neutral, tries again, the car starts, and we, we amble our way on with our hazard lights still flashing until we could pick up speed and get home to Abbotsford. But today I'm talking about uncommon prayer. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just say that the prayer we prayed last night was not a praise of thanksgiving and a, a repentance. It was like a prayer of panic. Uh, God, we need you now, and we need you to do something now, uh, because this is actually literally a life and death situation. And um, I have, I, you know, throughout my life, uh, I've, I've appreciated how God has acquiesced to my moments of panic and allowed uh, come down from His throne into my world and made a difference and changed the circumstances. So we are here today by the grace of God and because of, I'd say, answered prayer and calm, cool, collected <laughs> actions of my son to get us going. Looking at Christian prayer, so our series of about uncommon, uncommon people and uncommon God, uncommon calling that we have, 
and calling scriptures that we get to read, uncommon prayer. As I was preparing this message, it really struck me, and maybe for the first time, uh, about something about our God, the one we've come to worship and sing songs to and to pray to. Because I, I, I compare uh, in this series of uncommon, like what sets us apart from other religions? What sets us apart from other groups that, that pray and that come together and to worship their God? And, I, and I, there's so many things that set Christianity apart right, right from the very beginning. God coming to us, creating a people, revealing himself and his nature to us to understand who he is and, and, and his character, how he wants to intersect our life and intervene in our circumstances. But looking at true Christian prayer, uh, it is it's so uncommon from other world religions. I've talked to a friend of mine who was a former Muslim, and I said, what happens when people go into the temple to pray? And uh, thank you. He, he says, well, they just say the same thing over and over. It's just a wrote memorized prayers. They come in there for their time, and they say these memorized prayers. And, and I'm going, well... I can think of a few Christians, groups that do the same thing, kind of say the same prayer over and over and over again. And, I, and it kind of bothers me sometimes because it seems like it's all intellectual and not so much heart. It's just religious activity, not uh, intimacy with God. It seems that many people understand prayer to be a repetitive religious duty they must do in order to please their God. They say their prayers, but there's no response. There's neither action or reaction from the God they pray to. There's no real-time intervention in real-life circumstances, just religious duty, memorized recitations, and rehearsed spiritual cadences to a fabricated God. All throughout the Old Testament, when God was revealing himself to his people, the Israelites were going through the wilderness time, from Egypt to the Promised Land. They were encountering tribe after tribe after people group after people group that had their own carved gods. They carved them out of wood and out of stone. They have clay-molded gods they would set in a shelf and carry them with them wherever they went. You can imagine the, the contrast between carrying little clay-fashioned gods or, or fabricated wooden statues compared to a pillar of fire leading the people of Israel, a cloud going by day and fire by night, going with them and leading them, not being carried on a cart, not being you know, brought in a pocket. He was leading them. He was proving himself to be alive. And that's what I want to look at just briefly at the beginning of this, this message. Is there is a major difference between the God of the Israelites and the gods of every other nation. Joshua chapter 3, verse 10. Joshua is talking about to the people, and he's saying, this is how you'll know that the living God is among you. He's going to drive out all of the other nations before you. It's one of the first times we have this phrase, a living God, because he's comparing all the other gods that they've encountered. In Egypt, they left a bunch of dead gods, statues, and temples. This is the first time they didn't need a statue. They tried the golden calf. Yeah, it didn't work very well for them. He says, I don't want an image. I want to be alive. I want to be with you. 1 Samuel 17, David comes and talks to his people. He's facing Goliath, and he says, David, your servant, I struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine, Goliath, shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Again, the phrase, the living God, comes out. Jeremiah 10.10. Jeremiah says, the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. Daniel chapter 6, verse 20 
Daniel says, uh, the king has thrown Daniel into the lion's pit, expects that he's uh, been eaten alive, and in the morning he comes and he says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Even the king knew the difference between Daniel's God and everyone else's God. What about Hosea 1.10? Hosea says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sea of the, uh, sand in the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, You are children of the living God. It goes on. Peter is asked by Jesus, who do you say I am? In Matthew chapter 16, he says, you are the Christ, the son of what? The living, the living God. He's the son of the living God. There's something different about this God. In 2 Corinthians 3, 3, and it says, and you shall show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human. He's got a son of the living God. There's a spirit of the living God that we get to experience today. And in 2 Corinthians 6, it talks about the temple of the living God. He wanted a place where he could meet with his people. The temple was created, a holy of holies. It didn't contain him. It was just a, a place that he resided so that the people could be comfortable with him among them. And then in 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul says to Timothy, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. We are the church of the living God, and that's who we pray to. That's what prayer is all about. It's not a rote, memorized a set of sayings and readings that you do just to do your religious duty. You were coming before the living God. Not a, not a God of stone and a God of wood and not a God, a God carved by the hands of mankind. He was before we were. There's a group I encountered this last week called um, Red, Ro Red Rocks Worship. And they have a song called Living God. Here's a, a couple of the phrases that they say. I breathe in the presence of the living God. I take in the goodness of your love. I lean in closer to my Father's heart and I trust in who you say you are. You are alive, living and breathing, here in this place, speaking and healing. Your fullness and glory is right here before me. You're the living God, the living God. And that's what I want you to remember as we look at what prayer is all about. You're coming before a God that has already come to you. He, he initiates the relationship. He wants to draw us to him and talk with him, commune with him, to, to exist in his presence. 2 Corinthians 4.10 says that we are always carrying in the body the death of Christ because we too are crucified with Christ. But then it goes on to say, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. In other words, he died. Now he's alive. We carry, we, we carry the death because we were, we're crucified with Christ. We take up our cross daily and follow him. Now we're living with him, the presence of the living God in us. So I say, if I was defining prayer, I came up with this definition that prayer is coming before God in a formal or informal manner, bringing to him our concerns, our worship, our praise, our fears, and love, expecting a response in word or action. So what's so uncommon about our prayer? Well, let me just, I've got five points about what makes our prayer uncommon. 
First of all, God responds. God acts. And God replies to our prayers. You can expect, so my dad used to always say, when you pray, watch what happens next. In other words, anticipate an answer right away. Don't wait. Don't forget that you prayed. But when you pray, look to see what God does very next because he's ready and willing to respond to what you have asked of him. Our prayers always solicit an action of some kind. What's fascinating to me about prayer, one of the things is I can impact someone around the world. My prayers here in Maple Ridge can impact a missionary who's struggling in Zimbabwe. It's not because I'm magic. It's because God is moving and acting according to what I'm asking of him. Second thing is that prayer changes us. I don't know if other world religions have a kind of a prayer that changes. Maybe it gives them more peace when they're reciting some mantra, some kind of a phrase over and over again in some state of, of unconscious ecstasy. Or so. I don't know what happens in their prayer, but I do know that the more I pray, the more I have to change. When God says, pray for your enemies, is that an easy thing to do? Pray for someone who stabbed you in the back. Pray for someone who lied about you, who cheated you. What happens when you pray for someone like that? your heart begins to change. You begin to soften. You begin to see them as valuable in God's eyes too. It's like, when he's using prayer to mold and shape me into the image of his son. It also reminds us of how dependent we are, how humble we need to be. Last night, on the road, anticipating an early demise, I was realizing how incredibly dependent I was on God in that moment. There was nothing I could do to change my circumstances. If I got out of the car to wave people out, I would just be like uh, the meat in the sandwich (laughs) between the bumpers. (laughs) I couldn't do anything. I couldn't help my family. I'm the dad. I got my son and my wife in the car. I couldn't do anything to save them or protect them. And I cried out to God. Well, my wife was, you know, oh God, 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 oh God. I kind of let, she went into overtime in prayer, so we didn't have to. She's like praying for all three of us at the same time. But it showed how completely dependent I was. I was totally helpless in the hands of a God that I know loves me and is with me in that car. And has plans for my family's life. Still, still has things for us to do. He's going to protect us. I just didn't know how. I didn't know what would happen to us. And I think the angels of God came in and, and, and clicked whatever switch needed to happen for that car engine to start again. The third thing, that prayer impacts people in situations around the world. Like we can send wisdom to those that need it, power to those that need it, protection for those that need it, finances and support and creativity through our prayers. We are involved in the ministries of other people. We are giving them the support and the encouragement they need. Think about our missionaries. Think about those that have been waiting for a year and a half to get back to their country, hoping that there's something left of the ministry that they've been involved in for so many years. They're all anticipating going back. Many are planning to go back to their, their countries now. Things are opening up. You can be involved directly. in. The, if you don't never go on a mission trip, your prayers can go before you. You can impact lives around the world. The other thing about prayer is that it's cumulative or I use the word synergetic. I don't know if I made that up, but it sounds like a cool word. In other words, our prayers, when you pray, you, 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 you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray. They, they're not like one-off, one-off. They're like stacking up before the presence of God. We're, 
We're putting prayers before God's throne to say, God, this is really important to me. And pray for my spouse who's not a believer. Pray for my kid who's, who's run away from you, who's, who's wayward. I, I want to pray every day. I want it to stack up so that you can't help but trip over my prayers when you move from your throne because I want you to be reminded regularly how important this is. And, and also it's synergetic in the sense that when we all pray for the same thing, all of our prayers are together before God's throne. The same thing when we come for prayer times as a church family. We bring those things before God that are so important to us. We want to see, we want to see our community reached. We want to see our neighborhood changed. We want to see our city impacted. And as we pray together, the synergy of that, God is listening to the hearts of his people. And he's planning a response even as we are praying The other thing is prayer will outlast us. It always remains active and unanswered. It doesn't matter if you're here on earth or not. The prayers that you prayed right now for your kids, for your grandkids, for their spouses, for whatever you pray now, it doesn't stop and become nullified once you pass away. It's still there, still waiting, still active. I want to pray right now for my great, 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 great grandchildren so that they will come to know God at an early age. I want to pray that they will have Godly spouses when they, when they marry, that they can be a team and effort together in God's kingdom. I would, why not pray for generations yet to come? Your prayers can impact future five, six, seven generations. Why not? Your prayers will still be there, valid, waiting to be answered for when the time comes. Amen. There are people who think God is obligated to answer anything that they ask. They think because they said a prayer, God has to act. Um, it's not how it works. <laughs> He's not our magic prayer vending machine that uh, pop into prayer and pull out an answer. That's not how God works. He, he has a few conditions for listening to his people when they pray. We don't come before God in a flippant manner, in, a, in an arrogant manner, in a manner that dictates to him what we think he should do. He says in 1 Peter 3.12 that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. Proverbs 15, 29 says something similar. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. And you know, James 15, uh, 5, 15, it talks about anyone who's suffering should pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Are you sick? Call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. And at the end of that, in verse 16, it says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power. He's looking for righteousness in the lives of his people. When we come to him, he is far more interested in the prayers of the righteous because they are already seeking him. They're already living a life that honors him. It's not like he has to, oh, what was your name again? Now I haven't seen you in a long time. You know, you're praying for what again? Yeah. How about, you know, we deal with some stuff in your life? It's, it's a continuous relationship with God. The righteous people, those who seek after him, who confess their sins, who repent, who are restored, they, it's like they've got magic prayers. And I shouldn't say that. Strike that from the video. Nothing magic about prayer. What is, God is saying, you've got the wide open entrance into my presence. You don't have to kind of get ready and changed and organized. You just walk right in, and I'm glad to hear whatever you have to say. The righteous people, there's more than just righteousness. It says in James 1.5, if you lack wisdom, we'll ask God, who gives generously with all without reproach, and it will be given to you. But let him ask in faith without doubting. He's, he's looking for righteousness, and he's looking for faith. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. 
For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord if he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Two things that God really honors as we come before him. He says righteousness and faith. Why would he answer someone who doesn't even have enough faith that he can do anything? Well, that, that prayer request is too big for God. He can't handle that prayer request. I won't even bother praying. That guy's heart is so hard. No, not even God can get through. That's just a lack of faith and understanding. So I was looking in the, in the, the, the scriptures and said, well, what does Jesus actually ask us to pray for? What does he want us to pray for? Sometimes we don't really know when we come before him what to pray for. So he gives us some clues. He says, pray for those who persecute you. Yeah, that's a hard one, God. Can we move on to the next one? (laughs) No, pray for those who persecute you. Because then your heart will be like mine. And he says in Matthew 9, 38, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In other words, there are souls ready to be, to be uh, brought into the harvest. If someone will go, if someone will speak the word of truth, if someone will share the gospel with them, they're ready. The harvest is ripe. We need to bring it in. So we pray that God would send workers into the fields. And you know what? <laughs> someone else is also praying that for us to go. We pray that for God, send somebody. And some, that, that other somebody is already praying, God, send someone. I got a friend in Maple Ridge. He needs to hear the Lord. He's struggling in his marriage. His home is a mess. God, would you send somebody to intervene into their life? Would you send a neighbor who is a follower of you, God, to bring life and hope and direction and love into that mess of a family that's going on? God, send somebody Maybe we would be the answer to our own prayers. Then he says, pray in Luke 22, 40. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Okay. <laughs> Some of us like to play with the temptation. We like to kind of walk up to that line of temptations and, and, and dabble with putting our toe across the line of temptation, just giving it a little bit. But we don't realize that every time we give in to temptation, we compromise our effectiveness in the kingdom. We lose the power, spiritual power. We lose the protect. We lose so much when we deny what God has asked of us and we cross into that, cross that territory of temptation and then all of a sudden we're powerlessness and we have guilt and we have shame and we have fear that we're going to be found out. It's like, oh, we go down this road of temptation that leads to disaster. And you know what brings us back on track? Prayer. Again, prayer. The same prayer that God's saying, pray that you don't need to follow into temptation. But he's saying prayer can also restore you back to where you need to be. Confess that. Repent of that. Be reconciled. All through prayer. What a great avenue we have, this uncommon prayer. What else? He says, pray without ceasing. Be in constant communication with God as you're driving in the car, as you're at the grocery store, as you see someone in need. Always be in communication with God. Have your radar up all the time. The Spirit may want to use you in a moment's notice. If you're ready, if you're connected with God, together you can do some amazing things. And then he says in Matthew 6, don't pray like the hypocrites. Okay. What was going on here is the hypocrites were these religious people that went out and prayed on the street corners. They, were, they wanted all the attention. They wanted to be seen as holy. They wanted to be seen as righteous people. They did it for the applause of men. He says, don't be like the hypocrite. Don't do it for show. 
Do it with me. He's talking about an intimate relationship with him. Don't be fancy in your prayers. Be heartfelt in your prayers. And he says in Matthew 6, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think that they're going to be heard because they've got lots of words. He's talking about these Gentiles, the, the non-believers that are babbling on and on and on, all this rote stuff. And all the, all the more you pray, the more holy you can be. And he's saying, yeah, it doesn't work that way. I want to hear your heart. I want to know what's going on in your life. Come to me, and I will give you rest. And then even more, he says, look, even when you don't quite know what to pray, I'm going to send my spirit in Romans 8, 26. The spirit himself will intercede for us with groanings too deep for words. When we don't know what to say, God actually helps us to pray to him. That's, I mean, that, how unusual is that? When we, we want to pray and we don't know how, he says, okay, I, I'll give you a few clues. Here. I'll give you a few hints on how to, how to talk to me today, what, what I want to do in your life. Well, there's this book. It was written in 1549 by Thomas Cranmer. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury. And he wrote a book of common prayer. And it was kind of revolutionary for the time because most people... In the Anglican church, we're just kind of doing their own thing, going through services. And he says, you know, we've got to standardize how we're doing church. So in the 1500s, he wrote the Book of Common Prayer. Here's the actual title. They used the long titles back then. The title could have been a chapter. No, it says, The Book of Common Prayer and Administration of the Sacraments and Other Rites and Ceremonies of the Church According to the Use of the Anglican Church together with the Psalter as it is appointed to be said or sung in churches in the form and manner of making, ordaining, and consecrating of bishops, priests, and deacons. <sighs> so it's, it's, it's just shortened into Book of Common Prayer. And what it was to do is to help people know how to have a service, what scriptures to, to read for ordinations, for, for weddings, for funerals, um, prayers to pray for all occasions. If you've ever heard the, the word of... Uh, Till death do us part, or at a funeral, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, or if you've hoped for peace in our time, these phrases come from the Book of Common Prayer. It has impacted the English-speaking world, for sure. The, the, the issue I have is that they have been doing the same, the same book for 500 years. This is 20 generations of people have been using the same phrases and the same verses and the same prayers for generations, 500 years. And I'm thinking, what does the living God have to think about that? I mean, it, it, everyone comes to God in a different way, right? Some people really enjoy having a, a meditative kind of scriptures to use. Some use a devotional book. Some use a music. Some go out into nature. Some are just immersed in God's word and God speaks directly which, as, he, as he has promised to do. But I'm just wondering how... How do you come to God with your heart if you're using someone else's words that were printed up 500 years ago? And I, and, and I have a lot to learn, I, I admit. But I went to pray with the, an old um, a senior citizen in Saskatchewan one time, went to a nursing home. Uh, and uh, someone said she needed a visit, so I went to visit. I wasn't even a pastor. I was just a part-time construction guy at the church building next door kind of a thing. And so I went, and I had a nice chat with her. She had immigrated from England. And um, at the end of our visit, she said, thank me for coming. I said, well, I really must go, but let me pray for you before I go. And so she said, oh, that would be lovely. So we bowed, and I prayed a, as, as good a pastoral prayer I could for her. And, and after I said amen, she looked up, and she looked around, and she says, you didn't even have a book. I mean, you just prayed that out of your head. Yes. She says, I could never do that. 
And I thought, how, like where's the, the, the relationship and the intimacy depending on, on, on a book in order to come to God? Now, I'm not trash talking any, any book. I'm saying that this has led people into the presence of God for centuries. But we have to move past that to a direct, intimate relationship with God himself, talking to him from our heart. Last night, I couldn't have pulled out a book and found the appropriate prayer <laughs> for panic on a bridge. And um, I'm glad that I have a living God that I can turn to in a moment of crisis. Our prayers are to come from both the mind and the heart, expressing our own dependence on God, presenting our needs and concerns to him, worshiping him, praising him for all that he has done for us. And here's the goal, John 17, 3. I guess it's probably... One, or, one of two life verses for me. John says, while well, Jesus is speaking, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's the whole point of the prayer, is to know God and Christ. Let me close with this one, one last story. And again, it's a car story for my family, sorry. But it kind of fits. So my brother and I, uh, my brother, older brother Richard, we were at a student conference in Calgary. We lived in Saskatoon. And there had been a tremendous snowstorm. This is probably October, November. And um, it, it, the next day was a bright and sunny day. And we were coming just past Drumheller. Uh, I don't know if you've been on that highway very much, but there's like six-inch shoulders on that road. It's two lanes with not, not any shoulder to, to, to speak of, to pull. And, and there was about um, 10 inches of snow and slush covered the entire highway. And if you could get into a rut, you were doing really good. Hopefully a car had gone ahead of you and created a little path. But uh, we weren't prepared with snow tires. And so out of the four cars that were going that day, coming home from that student conference, uh, three of them ended up in the ditch. Mine, of course, didn't. I stayed, you know, because of my amazing driving abilities on the road. But at one point, my brother's, the car my brother was driving uh, hit an icy patch and started spinning in the, in the middle of this highway as he was going. And, and a fully loaded semi-trailer truck was coming towards him in the other lane. And this was, as I say, these were just two lanes, no shoulder, and he was spinning. And a truck was coming right towards him. And we could see it from behind. And just as the truck came, his car straightened out and slid into the ditch. Um, they were very grateful that there wasn't a head-on collision. I would have just gone right into the back of all of that mess myself. So after our hearts settled down, we pulled everyone out of the ditch. We finally got home. My mother came and said, so how was your, how was your, your conference? I said, well, you're really great. I said, anything unusual happened? I said, you should have seen the weather on the way home. We almost had a... Had a collision with a semi-trailer. And she says, really? Because 2 o'clock this afternoon, we just finished up the dishes, lunch, and we're going to have a little rest. And God put it on my heart to pray for you. In fact, I, I, I woke your dad up from his nap. And I said, Henry, we've got to pray for our kids. And he says, what are you talking about? I said, I don't know. But we've got to pray for them right now. And so they prayed prayer of safety for us, not knowing what was going on. And it turns out it was exactly the same moment as we were passing by that semi-trailer. And we kind of didn't know what to say. 
Did she save the life of her sons that day through her prayer? Did God say, I want to do something amazing and I want you to be a part of it? I want you to know what I want to do so that when the answer comes, you'll know I am alive and well and wanting to be involved in the lives of my children, children of the living God. Would you bow with me for prayer? Thank you, God, that you are unmatched. You are uncommon. You are alive. That you step into our world and call us to respond to you. That you want us to be a part of your activity. That you invite us to see the miraculous. May we learn how to pray without ceasing. May we learn to have an intimate relationship with you that brings us into your presence regularly to see your power at work around us and through us. May this church become a praying church, a powerful church, one that is, <laughs> that miraculous becomes common here. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.